Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. And I'll be reading scripture today from 2 Timothy 1, verses 1-14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep us a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. It's such a joy and honor to be here with you this morning. Um, like Tony said, we are here from United States. We immigrated here about two years ago, and Upper Room was actually pretty much the first church we ever went to, and we stuck. We just stuck, stuck here, and we love it, and um, it's really become our home, our family, and so it's just such a joy and a privilege to be a part of this congregation. So, like Tony said, I work for uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I work with university students at York University in particular. Um, I'm just going to quickly introduce myself, give a bit of background, and then jump into the message I feel that God has for us today. So, um, first and foremost, I am married to an amazing man named Eric Crow. Um, Eric is a graphic designer. We've been married for six years now. Um, we met in university, and it's been a crazy adventure the past six years, but a lot of fun. Um, I'm originally from New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia, but I was a church planter's kid. So when I was 10 years old, my dad decided that he wanted to plant a church in Arizona, of all places. So when I was 10 years old, we moved ourselves to Phoenix, Arizona, where it is really hot and <laughs> it's in the desert, so really dry. I was actually just there for three weeks. Man, never going back in the summer ever again. It's too hot. Um, but I went, to, I went to school there, I went to university in northern Arizona, which is up near the Grand Canyon, absolutely beautiful place. In university, I fell in love with three things. Um, the first was this man named Jesus. 
Have you heard of him? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I fell in love with Jesus. Second, I fell in love with Kemp's ministry. I got really involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Northern Arizona University. And then finally, I fell in love with Eric Crow. And as I um, <laughs> explored my three loves, I felt really called to be a chemist minister. And one day someone came up to me and said, Emily, if you could have any job in the world, like salary, just nothing, nothing matters, just choose your dream job. I said, oh, chemist ministry, in a second. Um, at the time, I was studying to be a physical therapist, and they were like, why don't you just do that? And I was like, what? So um, I decided to pursue campus ministry with a call from God. Um, but my husband, um, my boyfriend at the time, went on a mission trip to East Asia. And he came home and he said, um, um, I love you, but I, I feel like I'm called to be a missionary abroad. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I really feel like we are meant to, to be in China. And if this is a deal breaker, then um, I guess it, we got to break up. And I was like devastated. Oh, what can I do? This man that I had fallen in love with um, was saying that he wanted me to move and everything to China and give up my dream to work with InterVarsity to be a campus minister. Um, but... Lo and behold, um, Eric turned out to be right for both of us. It's like a trend in our marriage, he's usually right. Um, <laughs> and so I decided to take a short-term mission trip to China and um, eventually felt really called to be his wife. Um, not necessarily to the nation of China, but to be Eric's wife. And so um, in 2011, I graduated from university. Two weeks later, I um, got married. <laughs> and then two months later, we packed all of our belongings into four suitcases and moved to China to be missionaries. Um, there we worked with an organization called China Partners. And we actually did work with university students in China, so I did get to do the campus ministry piece, but this was all evangelism. Um, and it turns out I love evangelism, because sharing the gospel with your friends is totally like a life-giving, amazing experience. Um, I, I have the, the privilege of learning Mandarin, which is just like nowadays really helpful and a really cool party trick. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I got to study theology with the Underground House Church in China, which was such a unique and amazing opportunity to just study the scriptures from a perspective not only of persecution, but from the East Asian um, church that is just flourishing right now um, with the help of the Holy Spirit. That was such a joy and a privilege. Um, and I really fell in love with the ministry in China. And lo and behold, my husband comes in November of 2014 and says, Emily, I feel like God is actually calling us to leave China and return back to North America. I was like, come on, man. We just moved here. Can we stick it? I just finished studying Mandarin. Um, but he was like, why don't we just pray about it and see what God says? And again, Eric was right. Um, God was calling us to leave, um, which devastated me. But I, I sensed that God had something for us um, in the next chapter of our lives. Um, we kind of set up a plan to return to North America. I had gotten a part-time position at a church in South Florida to be their missions pastor. Eric got a job in the same city to work for an organization called One Hope. So we were like set, you know, for the next season. Um, but in December of 2014, I believe it was, um, I was asked to speak at, at a, a missions conference called Kingdom Calling for young adults here. And at that time, I got to meet Canadian university students, and I just, man, they were wonderful. I, I fell in love with them. And I had um, breakfast with a woman named Susanna Muntz, who's here, hey, Suze. Hey. <laughs> um, 
Um, and Susanna um, sat down with me and I said, Sue, what are like the ministry opportunities here in Toronto? And she said, well, there is this one campus. <laughs> Nobody will go there. Uh, it's a commuter campus. It's like, you know, a huge campus, 50 plus thousand students. Um, InterVarsity has tried to be there for decades, but really nothing has stuck there. She's like, probably, that's probably not really what you're looking for, but you know, just pray about it. And so I was like, well, great sell, Suze. Not interested. Um, <laughs> she was being honest. She was being honest. It's good. I'm grateful. Um, so my husband and I went on vacation for Chinese New Year, and Eric said to me, I'm like, you know, every time I pray about South Florida, I just feel like we're drowning. But when I pray about Toronto, something feels anchored. And I was like, are you telling me that you want to move to Canada? <laughs> We're from Arizona. Arizona people don't move to Canada. It's the opposite. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I pray too, and I just really felt God pulling me more and more. I kept thinking about York University, and I really knew nothing about the campus except that um, God wanted me to go there. And particularly a word of revival kept coming up again and again and again. Revival, new life at York University. So, um, June of 2015, we left China and we moved here in September of 2015. And I've been working with InterVarsity since then. Um, InterVarsity's mission statement is to transform youth, students, and faculty in all their ethnic diversity into fully committed followers of Jesus. What does that mean in the day-to-day -day life? It means that I get the honor and privilege of introducing young adults to the living God. It is um, such a joy. For the past two years, I've been team leading at York University. And at York University, we have three fellowships on campus. The first is the typical InterVarsity multi-ethnic undergraduate student ministry, which now will be led by our very own Anna. Anna. <laughs> um, we also have a ministry working with international students. And finally, we have an ethnic-specific ministry called Korean Christian Fellowship. Um, actually, the leader of Korean Christian Fellowship, his name is Jacob Pack. He is my, um, my colleague, my coworker. He's going to be leading the men's Bible study on Thursday. So I'm really excited for that. Um, and uh, although I've been working solely at York University for the, for the past two years, I actually have just been given a job position change. And so starting in September, I will be supervising all of the ministry in the city of Toronto. So we exist at six universities. We have 10 fellowships, and there are eight staff that I will be working alongside, training, equipping. Yeah, I'm way too young for this position. You're thinking, you're seeing a little young for that. Yeah, you're right, I am. Um, but God is good, and he will hopefully <laughs> be beside me. Um, a lot of people ask me, so what do you do? Like, what, what do you, what's your daily life? What's your job look like? Oh, sorry, I forgot about the mic. Um, really, like I said, we get students around Jesus, and we do that through scripture study, through worship, through teaching like this. Um, we love to get students into mission. That's one of my biggest passions. And so we do quite a lot of evangelism in the summers. We love to um, take students on global missions projects. And um, again, really, I just love to see students be transformed um, by Jesus. And so as much as I would love to just share stories with you about specific students, um, about how they've been changed and transformed, even in the past two years, about the ways that the fellowship really has experienced revival at York University. Man, I, I hope that we have time for me to share those incredible stories. That is actually not the sermon that I have for you this morning. Um, 
I really feel that God has given me a message to share with us. And um, it is actually about the crisis that we are facing with the young adult generation, particularly with millennials. And just for clarity's sake, I'm defining millennial this morning as anyone born between 1980 and the year 2000. And we have been experiencing an exodus of millennials from the church. And I, I want to share a bit about that um, with you this morning. So um, we're going to take a look at some, some statistics. And right, we get that statistics don't always describe the fullness of what's happening, but I think they can help give us a glimpse of what we as campus ministers are really experiencing on campus and in our churches. So in 2011, a study done by James, sociologist James Penner and his team called Hemorrhaging Faith provided some alarming statistics about this generation of young adults and their relationship to the church. Um, they found that only one in three Canadian young adults who attended church weekly as a child still do so today. Of the young adults who no longer attend church, half have also stopped identifying themselves as Christians. And the more recent statistics are even more alarming. A study done by Barnard Group in 2014 that interviewed nearly 5,000 young adults ages 22 through 35 about their views on the church, and here's what they found. Only two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending a church is important or worthwhile, and that is an all-time low. 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, believing the church has done more harm than good. Finally, millennials are the least likely age group of anyone to attend church by far. And I share these statistics with you, not to millennial bash. I feel like there's often a lot of millennial bashing these days. Actually, I'm a millennial, so I'm really not interested in doing that. But I do want to share with you the reality that we are facing. And while I said these, these statistics are just numbers, but I can tell you, and I'm sure other young adults in this room could tell you story after story of their friends that were once filled with passion and commitment for God who have eventually left the church and left their faith. My own story actually represents these statistics in a way. I grew up in a typical evangelical household. Like I said, I was a pastor's kid. Um, we were part of the evangelical free denomination and then eventually the Baptist General Conference. And my church really emphasized the ability to defend your faith. So they were super into apologetics and they trained me really well to be able to argue evolutionists and and free willis and uh, all those things. So um, it left, and we idolized perfect doctrine. That was our greatest pride, is that we felt that we had the perfect doctrine. And anyone who tried to argue against us, we would take them down. <laughs> so I could, like I said, I could argue all the live long day about creation versus creationism versus evolutionism or predestination and free will. And um, it left me, again, with a ton of head knowledge, but really no heart connection. And although I knew my stuff, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the person about who our faith is truly about. And I find that if this is so true for so many young adults I encounter on campus. Then they know their stuff. They speak Christianese, which is like our Christian lingo. They speak it fluently. You can understand, I mean, they, I mean, they, they know it. And they sound like they know what they're talking about, but so often they lack the head-to-heart connection. They don't know Jesus. And so my goal 
is to help them relearn their Christianity from a foundation of a relationship with Jesus. I want them not just to know about him, I want them to know him. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want them to experience him. Uh, I met Jesus in a prayer room at an intervarsity retreat. It was 2 a.m. and I was by myself. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice say to me, um, I love you, and I want you to know me. I want you to truly know me. And something inside me just knew that that voice belonged to Jesus. But like I said, I had to relearn my very church worldview. Um, I had to un unlearn a lot of things and relearn it from a new perspective, from a relationship. Um, I had to learn that Jesus wasn't Republican or white. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I had blended Jesus into my North American bubble. Um, and I had to realize... Oh, hello? Okay, cool. Should I use this? All right. Um, I, hello? <laughs> okay, we'll just keep talking. Um, I, had to, I had to learn that being a Christian meant more than just having all the right answers. And through that process, my faith became less academic and theological and more tangible. Because Jesus went from being a Jewish teacher 2,000 years ago to being a close friend that I walked my daily life with. The scriptures went from being a historical textbook to being the place where I would go to learn about this person that I was becoming close with. Um, and I had to learn that, um, that Jesus was not just a Jewish teacher. The scriptures were not just a historical textbook. They were, they were the blueprint for how I should live my new life as a Christian. And that changed me in a significant way. It made me feel alive in ways that I always longed to feel alive but had never experienced before. And my heart and my longing is for young adults in this city to come alive in the same way, to be transformed and to know Jesus in the scriptures, to have an intimate relationship with him, not just to have all the right answers, but to actually know Jesus. Our generation is a generation that longs for purpose. We are always looking for purpose in our lives, and I believe that that is a glimmer of hope that this millennial generation, the young adult generation, is not hopeless because we long for purpose, and true purpose only comes through knowing Jesus and living in his kingdom. And so my calling is to bring young adults back into the church, to reconcile them into the church. And I want to partner with God to change these statistics. But I found that doing it on my own is impossible. <laughs> I can't do it. And even, to be honest, we as a parachurch ministry cannot do it alone. We absolutely need the church. We need the church to partner with us. And so I'm here this morning to ask for your help in changing these statistics and in bringing young adults back into the church. And in order to understand how to do that, we're going to take a look at some scripture. So um, we read the scripture this morning from the book of 2 Timothy that was written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege named Timothy. The book, uh, the letter, sorry, was written between 64 and 66 AD while Paul is in prison and Timothy is overseeing the churches in Ephesus. 
Um, a little bit of background about Paul and Timothy's relationship. So Paul, on his first missionary journey, went through um, Galatia and converted his mother and grandmother. So Paul mentions them in the text, Lois and Eunice. Paul converted them to Christianity through his first missionary journey. And then the second time around, Paul decided to take Timothy with him. And so um, Paul began to mentor and model for Timothy what it meant to be an apostle and a teacher in this kingdom. And then eventually, Timothy was put in charge of the churches in Thessalonica, Corinth, and Philippi, and currently is overseeing Ephesus. At the time this letter was written, Timothy is still quite young and considered to be quite young for the position of leadership that he's in. Not that I would have any idea what that feels like. Um, <laughs> Ephesus is a huge, wealthy port city that's known for its great temple. And so it's a hyper-sexualized, hyper-materialistic city with a ton of idolatry. And um, it's believed that there was a pastor rebellion at this time. So Timothy's mentor is in jail. He's living in this crazy city and his pastors are turning against him. And I'm thinking he might be a little stressed out. Maybe. I don't know. That's just my guess. So um, in, in the face of failure and rejection, these are the words that Paul has for him from prison. I'm just going to read the text again um, from 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my, of, of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen. So as much as I would love to spend the rest of this morning just teaching from this passage, um, I actually feel that God has a word for us this morning. So um, I'm not going to be doing a ton of teaching, but I do want to make some quick observations from the text, particularly about the way that Paul addresses Timothy and his attitude towards Timothy. Um, I mean, Paul opens the letter by addressing Timothy as my dear son. My dear son. Now, they're not biologically related. Timothy is not actually Paul's son. He just sees him that way because he loves him. 
he affirms and encourages Timothy by saying, man, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He, he again affirms Timothy by saying, I remember, I remember your sincere faith. And he, and he calls Timothy to also remember how the gift of God, to fan into flame that gift of God that was given to him through the laying on of hands. Um, he encourages Timothy to remember that God did not give him a spirit of timidity, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. He models by saying, join me in suffering for the gospel, not by your own strength, but by the strength of the spirit that God gave you. And finally, he reiterates the vision. He says, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul's incredible is one-liner gospel message. It's amazing. So, Paul, he loves Timothy. He affirms him. He models for him. And he redirects, he recasts the vision for the gospel of Jesus. And so, here is the message that I feel is for us this morning. First and foremost, to the people in this room who were born after 1980. Okay, here it is. Um, our reality is not too far off from Timothy's. We kind of live in modern-day Ephesus culture, right? Our culture is hyper-sexualized, hyper-materialistic, hyper-individualistic. And Christianity is no longer the acceptable social norm for us, right? Um, we face rejection for our faith on our campuses and in our workplaces and in our social circles. Um, and I don't know about you, but I found that arguing apologetics with my millennial friends just doesn't go over so well anymore. They don't really care. Um, and so, again, here is the message I feel God has for us this morning. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Because the spirit that God gave us, young adults, is not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. I find that so many young adults live in fear and shame around their Christian faith. Um, we've begun to do this thing where we compartmentalize our faith. So we, we have church on Sunday and home group on Wednesday, but the rest of our lives is ours. Our faith does not touch it. We've, we've begun to just shut out um, our faith and we hide our Jesus part of who we are from our non-Christian friends. Um, and I really think that this is actually what it looks like in our modern day and age to be ashamed of the gospel, is to do this compartmentalization thing. Because the truth is that this gospel should be so powerful and transforming that it has to touch every part of our lives. And I'm not saying that I want you to go parade Jesus around your office or your campus or your, or your, your social circles. Actually, in fact, please don't do that. I'm not asking you to shove your religion in everyone's faith. But I, I want us to ask the question, why? Why do we feel like we need to compartmentalize our faith? Why are we living in shame around the gospel? As I've begun to ask myself and as I've begun to ask students and my friends, why? so often the answer is the same. That we, we, not, we don't feel quite ashamed of Jesus, but we feel ashamed of the way that the church, or I should say 
um, in the past, certain Christians have misrepresented Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a context where Jesus was more of a political agenda than the, than the Lord of our lives. And the city that I grew up in, the Christians were some of the most arrogant and racist and power-hungry people around. But do remember, I am American, so that might explain that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, these, my church did not model what it looked like to love your neighbor. They did not love the poor. They loved their houses and their cars and their security. And I did not want to be associated with that. Uh, as I got to know Jesus, I found that his commandment was not, therefore, go and live very comfortably in your Christian bubble. But, thank you. but that is what my church had taught me. Not directly from the pulpit, of course, but through the, their lives. That's how they lived their lives. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. And so as I got to know Jesus more and more, I became less ashamed to associate myself with him. Paul says to Timothy, he says, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. But I found growing up, and what so often we emphasize is what you believe. I'm not ashamed because I know my doctrine and I know my theology. I've got it down pat. Therefore, I do not have to be ashamed. But Paul doesn't say that. It's not about a what, it's about a who. Our faith is not a list of rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts, this doctrine. It's not, it's not that. It's actually about a, a relationship with a person. So we do not have to be ashamed because we know whom? Jesus. And we know that he is worthy. And so, young adults, and adults too, here is my challenge for you. Get to know Jesus in the scriptures. Get to know Jesus in the scriptures, in community. Because if you try to read it on your own, you will never get the full perspective. Because you are one person. Get around the scriptures with a group of people that can speak into your lives. And let them speak into your lives. And really learn who Jesus is. The, the men's Bible study is studying the scriptures together in community. And man, on my prayers, God is transforming them. And so... Guys, upper room, I'm part of this family. Let's get around the scriptures together. Let's find out who Jesus really is and what it really means to follow him. Because um, in my opinion, Jesus is the most incredible person that has ever walked the earth. Not just because he graciously sacrificed his life for the redemption of all humanity, which, you know, is pretty cool in itself. Um, but he also loves the poor and the social outcasts. Anytime he interacted with a woman, or um, I think of the story of Levi or Zacchaeus, Jesus loves the social outcasts. He redefines family and friendship. He makes mundane, boring things come to life. He does incredible, sometimes weird miracles, and he invites us to do the same miracles in our campuses and workplaces and social circles. He never worried about money or about fitting in. He gave us purpose to join him in the redemption of all humanity. And if there is no other purpose to live for, then I'm content with that. 
And as I get to know him, and I hope that as you get to know him, you feel proud to call yourself a little Christ or a Christian. And so here's a little sidebar. Um, I know that you guys are thinking, yeah, that sounds awesome, but how do I do that? Like, you don't know my workplace, you don't know my friends, I I have no idea how to do that. You're right, I don't, and you probably don't either. And I can't give you a formula this morning that says how to live out your faith in your daily life, but guess what? We were given a helper, an advocate, his name is the Holy Spirit. And so if you actually want to do this following Jesus thing, not just believing Jesus, I believe a lot of people in this room, we believe Jesus, but I think very few of us follow Jesus. If you want to do this following Jesus thing, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. So as Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God's Spirit because he is your advocate. He was given to you so you could know how to do this, how to live um, out your faith. And so it begins by learning how to hear his voice. I know we've talked a lot about that the past couple years, but we really need to discipline ourselves to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit so we could know how to follow Jesus and how to live out our faith and to really truly live with a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And it it starts simply with just asking and saying, Holy Spirit, help me to hear your voice. Help me to live out my faith authentically in everything that I do. Also, a helpful how-to is to have models in your life to show you and guide you in how to do this. And so, um, this is where the rest of the people in this room, the older generation is what I'm calling them, Um, This is my challenge for you, is to be Paul to us. We need Pauls to show us how to live out our faith. Um, And and so this begins really by simply inviting a young adult out to coffee or over your home for a mundane Monday evening of putting the kids to bed and making dinner and watching Survivor. Um, Really, what I'm asking is that we in this church could be spiritual parents to the young adult generation. Um, Because so often I think that the church believes millennials, like we want to show, like we want Tim Keller to preach every every Sunday or like Hillsong worship, you know, like fancy lights and fog machines. Actually, I found that millennials aren't interested in that kind of thing. We just want family. We just want people that are gonna walk through life with us and they're gonna actually love us for who we are and teach us how to follow Jesus. I wanna share with you a story about my own spiritual parents. Um, Their names are David and Joy Dillon. They were our mentors and our supervisors in China. Um, Dave is from Oregon, Joy is from South Africa. And um, they, they really became the Pauls in our lives. And it began with them just inviting us over their house for countless meals and countless card games and board games. Um, We would just hang out and they would ask us questions about our lives and about who we are. Um, They would let us hang out and play with their kids. And really, they, um, through those times, they subtly um, introduced us to the Holy Spirit and helped us understand grace. They called me out when I was being immature and dumb, which I hated at the time, but I am so glad that they helped me refine my character in a loving but persistent manner. Um, They pushed us 
to love the culture that we were living in. They, um, they dreamed with us for our lives. When we were sick, um, they would bring us soup. When they were sick, we would take their kids to school and buy them groceries. When our electricity went out, they would help us fix it. Um, when we were lonely on Christmas morning, they invited us over to join them in their family celebration. So it was never any super extravagant gesture, but it was just living life together. They invested, intentionally invested in us. Um, we knew that they were there and that they loved us. We watched the way that they loved people. We watched the way that they experienced and lived out in the power of God. We watched them practice regularly spiritual disciplines and watched them grow in that place. We joined them in suffering for the gospel because they were our Pauls. And so this morning, I would like to ask you to consider being a Paul to a young adult in our congregation or outside of our congregation, either one. Um, and again, this doesn't just apply for people who were born um, before 1980. This applies to all of us, but I really feel that this message is for us today to be Paul's. And I know what you may be thinking, and I hear this excuse all the time, okay? Here it is. I'm not qualified. I don't have a seminary degree. I've only been in a Christian for five years. Or, I'm just not ready. I'm busy. Oh, there's so many excuses. And yes, I want to say to you, yes, you're not qualified. If you are setting the qualification to that. But this is an opportunity for you to rely on God. And I guess I should give you some warnings about what it means to be a spiritual parent, okay? So, um, listen closely if this is something that you are seriously considering, because, quite serious, here are the warnings, okay? Um, you will begin to pray more and cry out for God's help to give you wisdom in helping these young adults navigate today's modern Canadian culture. Um, you will probably begin to reflect on your own decisions and lifestyles. You will, as you are asking these young adults questions about their sexuality, you will begin to reflect on your own sexuality and the way that you spend money and the way that you view money and generosity, the way that you love the poor. You may find yourself desiring to live out the calling that you are giving to these young adults. This happens to me all the time. And as you listen to the zeal of these youngins, it may, you may find that it's time for you to be zealous again for God's kingdom. You may find that you have settled in certain areas of your life, and God may call you to stand up in those places and move again. Your children will have new aunties and uncles that will hopefully babysit for you. Whatever. <laughs> um, and your house snack supply will dwindle. That is the reality. We go through chips and popcorn like nobody's business. Um, you may find that it's time for you to start making radical decisions for your life and give up your comfort and security. But here is the most dangerous risk in being a spiritual parent, is that you will probably love them. And love is always a risk. We risk disappointment, we risk um, and pain and rejection, especially if we love the way that Paul commands us to in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, patiently, kindly, without boasting, slow to anger, with no record of wrongs. 
David and Joy poured their hearts into us. And then we left China to come to Canada. And that was bittersweet for both of us, for all of us. But do they regret investing in us? Do we regret the ways that they poured their hearts and the ways that we love them? Absolutely not. Our finger, their fingerprints are on us forever. And the good news about kingdom family is that it is eternal. And so although they may live on the other side of the world today, we know that we someday we will be together in our Father's house. So the risk is love. But here is the potential. We change the statistics. And young adults, millennials, start flooding back into the church. And the church becomes revived. Because young people just bring a kind of life, right? And our church comes revives in a new, fresh way. Um, we gain deep, fulfilling relationships in our community. We have immeasurable joy. And we get the honor of investing in young people that may potentially change the world. And so many young people tell me that they believe that the church is irrelevant. I hear that all the time. The church is irrelevant. And if you define church as Christian karaoke and a lecture on Sunday morning, then yes, I agree. Church is irrelevant. But that is not the purpose of the church, right? We are meant to be the representation of Jesus on the earth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls us to be one body, to be so united that we have to rely on one another to function. But I find that we so rarely live into that, especially in North America. I am a very independent person. My parents raised me to be self-sufficient, but it has crippled me in the ways that I relate to the church because I'm scared of vulnerability and trust and acting on that. And then I need to grow out of that. And I'm learning to grow out of that. Um, coming here from China to Canada, leaving not only our blood family in the United States, but our Chinese family now in China was one of the hardest things that I have ever done in my life. And we are still reeling from that transition because it's not easy. But the pain has been eased so much because of this community, because God gave us new family in Canada. And Upper Room started to feel like family with Howard and Linda Chung inviting us to their house for Raptors games. <laughs> started to feel like family. Started to feel like these people want to know my heart and who I am. Um, and, and then people in our home group and in our friends in this community, people began to check in on us for our health issues and our new job interviews and transitions. Um, they would invite us to their homes on holidays. Melissa and um, Ruben Yurik invited us to our house on Easter. Yeah, and that meant the world to us, because we would have been alone, probably eating pizza. Um, <laughs> the, the, the people in this community have shared their children with us and have talked with us about hard decisions they're making as parents. And man, guys, we need that. We need to know your process of being a parent. We need models in our lives to show us how to be good parents, how to be solid Christians, how to navigate our lives today. We need our church. I would never for a second call the church irrelevant. 
call family irrelevant. So here is how we are going to change these statistics. Here's the game plan, okay? First and foremost, choose into spiritual family. Be a Paul or a Timothy. What does that look like for you to be a Paul? Affirm, model, and recast the vision, okay? For a young adult in this congregation or in your life, affirm them, model for them what it means to live for the gospel and recast the vision, draw them back to Jesus always. For you S. Myers-Briggs S's in the room, what does that look like? Practically, invite a young adult to your home for dinner. Last week, Tony spoke on the centrality of the dinner table. One of the fruits of that is spiritual family. That is so good. So often we, um, we kind of make this idea of spiritual parenting, like we, we kind of like idealize it or make it seem more difficult than it really is. It's really just about hanging out <laughs> and asking questions and investing and walking through life together. Um, and I know that like we've kind of made it awkward too. So if I go up to someone and say, will you please be my spiritual parents? Um, that's kind of awkward. It's weird, right? And so I just want to deflate the awkwardness. And I want to give us permission today to invest in one another. And for an older person to go to a millennial or a young adult and say, hey, would you like to come have family dinner with us on Wednesday? Or, hey, my kid has a softball or baseball game next week. You want to join us? And just, in, just invite and say, I want to invest in you. I want to love you. I mean, you don't have to say it directly like that. But I want to give us permission to invest in spiritual family and for it to not be awkward. Or if it is awkward, for us to just say, okay, it's awkward, whatever. Just get over the awkwardness. So, um, guys, we have to do this. We have to do this or young adults will never come back. Because we really have to start living out spiritual family. Um, my second invitation is to support campus ministry. Okay, here's my pitch for the morning for campus ministry. I'm looking at this room and I'm thinking of all the people who are not in this room, particularly university students. I find our church, university students, is one of our smallest um, groups represented. And so we, as campus ministers, we go to the campuses. We are on campus in their space, having conversations with them about their lives. But here's the catch, is that we have to fundraise our salary which, yeah, sucks pretty much as much as it sounds. It's really hard to fundraise your salary. We need help from the church to do the mission and the ministry that we have been called to. And so perhaps you do not have the resources to go and um, invest in young adults, but um, maybe you want to financially invest in ministry to young adults in this city. And so I want to just extend that invitation to you. After the service, Anna and I um, will be around if you're interested in possibly investing in the, us going to them and bringing young adults back into the church. Remember, this is my calling. I feel called to go and bring. But I need your help to do that financially and prayerfully. So please contact me if that's something that you're interested in. Um, finally, my third invitation is to be in the scriptures together. To be in the scriptures, in community. Get to know Jesus for who he really is. We have made him so often out to be someone that he truly is not. So please know Jesus for who he really is in the scriptures, in community. Because at the end of the day, he is who this is all about. Amen?
At the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 So Jesus, would you help us to know you more and to give you our lives fully and holy? Would you help us to live out spiritual family? And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to bless you this morning with delight in spiritual family. That as you invest and pour your heart um, into each other, that you would just find so much joy in that place. And that as we pursue kingdom family, that we will become more and more like Jesus. And that the world can't help but notice um, how amazing and wonderful and worthy Jesus is. And so I bless you in his name this morning. Go in peace.